again to the Gospel of Luke, to the 13th chapter. So we pick up in verse 14. And the study this morning that I've entitled Double Exposure. Now, for those of you who have a little more uh, age on you, and you can remember when the only way to take photos was with a camera, and, and for some of us that are a little older than others, being, being born in the 1950s, kind of giving away my age a little bit there, being born in the 1950s, virtually every family had the brick known as the Argus 1100 camera. It was about yay big, weighed seven and a half pounds, and if you ever got into a fight and you were desperate for a weapon, you could always use your camera. But that camera required, I know a novel idea, no SD chip, it took film. And I used to really enjoy photography, and so I would take this old Argus camera, and every time you wanted to shoot a photo, you had to advance the film. Some of you remember that time when you had to advance the film. Maybe you've seen some of those, they still have them, the little leftover throwback, throwaway cameras where you have to wind them. Well, what would happen if you didn't wind the film is you got a double exposure. And that double exposure, very often, if you were shooting and you couldn't remember whether you actually took the picture, you'd simply take the picture again, and lo and behold, your hands were not in exactly the same place that they were previously. And so you would have two roughly the same images all in the same photo, and they were pretty much worthless. But... It showed you exactly what's going on here in this passage this morning because there are times for sake of emphasis that the Lord repeats things so that we get it. He gives us a double exposure. He paints one picture right next to it, paints another picture, and right next to it paints another picture. And so that we get what he's saying. And I can also tell you that the Lord, contrary to popular belief, the belief held by our president, by the way, uh, the words of red are not always easy to swallow. And in fact, Jesus is the harshest critic of religion that's found in the Bible, far harsher than the Apostle Paul ever was. Jesus also spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. And Jesus himself, as we will see, wants us to understand that there's exactly one name under heaven whereby men may be saved, and you're either in or you're out. And once the door is shut, it's shut forever. And so he's going to expose the hypocrisy of a ruler of the synagogue. Now, you remember where we finished last time. If you weren't with us, you can simply go back a dozen verses and you will find the substance of the story. So I've shared with you so many times, it is absolutely essential to the understanding of Scripture that you keep the Bible in context. That you don't yank verses out of context and say, well, thus says the Lord. Jesus was speaking very specifically about a subject. And that subject matter is very clear when you take his words in context. And so this morning, we're going to take his words in context. And he will expose the hypocrisy, uh, the supposed saintly hypocrisy, I might add, 
of a very religious person, a religious man, a rabbi. And I will share with you this morning, as I've shared previously and before, that Jesus was always, always making sure that people understood that religion itself could be very, very, very dangerous. That it can cause us to be so holy-minded that we become no earthly good. That we can have rules and regulations that are so specific and concise that we forget to love. That we can actually get to the place when God does something wonderful, and I know you would all would never do this, in someone else's life, whom you don't believe deserves it, that you actually can't rejoice for the fact that God has blessed them. And instead you figure out some way to say, well, God should have never done that for them. It was on the wrong day of the week. I mean, after all, I saw them last time, and I mean, you can't believe what they did. And so I think some of us perhaps will learn a lesson this morning. Some of us will have these thoughts reinforced. Uh, Some of us may be forced to make a choice between being a sheep or a goat, a saint or an ain't. This morning, double exposure. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only begotten Son, to this earth that the world through him might be saved. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the clarity of it. We pray that as we study it, you would speak to us as your children. God, would we be in the midst as the disciples were in the midst. God, would you, by the power of the Spirit, translate these words into our hearts and our minds that we might know what is the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of your own person. God, help us to know it. We love you. We bless you. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 14, continuing on in the same thought, you'll see it here in verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. I love that word. Indignation. Saintly hypocrisy. Hypocrisy that is based in what one believes is a superior position. Do you understand? Someone who believes they are right and you are wrong has indignation. Now, you're just dead wrong. Now, unfortunately, he's about to do battle with Jesus. That's a bad thing. Never do battle with Jesus and his word. You will be what we call a loser. (laughs) Won't work out well for you. And notice why. Look at this verse. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Now think about it for a moment. Jesus plainly declared that he had come to seek and save that which is lost, and to heal the brokenhearted, to make the blind see and the lame to walk, that's what he came to do. And because he did it on a day that someone said somewhere, not your Bible, by the way, nowhere does your Bible say that you can't heal people 
on the Sabbath, not even if you're a Jew. The Jews were forbidden from doing work and those types of things, but not because it was wrong to do the work. It was wrong to be a workaholic and not give God the glory and not take a day of rest before the throne just as God did. It was about taking a Sabbath of heart, not a physical Sabbath. Because he had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, now imagine, here's what happens. Jesus stands up, he speaks, and this guy's like, he's booking back to, up to the front. He's going, wait a second. Not in my synagogue you don't. You can't do that. Do you realize where you are? With indignation. And so he begins to bloviate. Like that word. Pompous, arrogant speech that supposes superiority of position. There are six days on which a man ought... I'm using a voice here. I'm bloviating. There are six days on which a man ought to work. You see what he was doing? He's like, he's making his case. But he can't say it to Jesus because he knows Jesus is right, basically. So he's going to whip up the masses. And this is what people like this always do. They go find a few other fools that will agree with them. I'll take my inferior position in actuality and I will go find some people to agree with me. And I will try and convince them that we should start something going so that everybody else does not believe what this man has just said. And so he begins to speak what is almost the truth. There are six days in which men ought to work and therefore come and be healed on them. But not on the Sabbath day. There are six days that a man ought not work. But nowhere in the Bible, not in the Torah, not in the Tanakh, is it forbidden to heal anybody on the Sabbath. Nowhere. That's a religious rule. That was the rabbinical tradition. Had nothing to do with what God had said. It had everything to do with what man had purported it said. It was some truth mixed with a little bit of lie. And the Lord answered and said, answered him and said, so now he's going to speak directly to this man. He's run back up to the pulpit. He's spouted these words and here's what he says. Hypocrite! I love when Jesus does that. Because it draws your attention immediately to the fact that Jesus is saying, this dude is wrong. Make no bones about it. You are incorrect. Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath, notice how Jesus skips right over the fact that he's misinterpreted Scripture and goes right to the heart of the issue. Because let's face it, we can all find our proof texts. Amen? We pull out part of a verse, half of a verse. You want to find this in, in, in great measure. Talk to a Jehovah's Witness. Talk to a Mormon. Talk to someone who has a absolutely incorrect view of Scripture. They'll pull out lots of proof text. They'll yank them out of context. 
they'll remove them from their setting in which they were spoken and say, well, thus says the Lord. And then they'll tell you that Jesus is Lucifer's brother. Or that unless you're one of us, you can't be saved. Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his own ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? That's actually work. That's what they were really forbidden to do. That's what they were actually not supposed to do. And what Jesus is saying, look, I did something good that is not forbidden. You do something behind God's back, so to speak, and you think he doesn't see it. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, notice how Jesus gets directly to the heart of the issue, whom Satan has bound. Family of God, if you cannot rejoice every moment of every day about someone being set free from the bondage of Satan's binding of them, then you have a serious problem with Jesus. No matter when it happens, no matter where it happens. And so Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. Think of it, he says, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. He begins to just say, look, here's the issue. It's not because I did some work in straightening this. You realize what he's saying here. He touched the woman, she straightened up. That was somehow bad because she was in bondage. You see how it ties into what we previously studied? Well, she must deserve to be that way. Don't you dare straighten her up. I mean, let her stay bent. She obviously has got something serious. She's got a heart problem. Any of you ever used that one? Yeah, they got a heart problem. I got a heart problem. And so do you. Your Bible says it's desperate and deceitfully wicked, and your Bible says who can know it? Not even you know your own heart at times. It's that bad. We have a failed disease. Good news is we've been freed from it by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's fatal. The bondage of sin is death. But praise God, he set us free from the bondage of sin and death. So the Lord Jesus begins to expose this fuming fool. And we do, we get pugnacious and pompous and pious and smug. We get all those things sometimes, don't we? I have, I can tell you that. I do it very infrequently now. In my early years in ministry, you put that on my desk plaque, pugnacious pompous, throw in arrogant, whatever you want. Yeah, some of you still think I'm that way. But you get the whole, you get the picture here. When you think you have a superior spiritual position, it's easy to pick on other people. And you can no longer even rejoice in the fact that God's doing work in their life. I have actually met people who have told me that they didn't think so-and-so deserved to be saved. 
family of God, according to the grace of God, he is willing that none should perish. And that includes people whom you think ought to be run over with a tractor. You don't deserve his grace, and neither do I. Nobody does. None of us deserve to be healed. Nobody does. You get the picture? You have to put yourself back in the picture on these verses. Oh man, but for God's grace, I would be in the same place. I would be in deep trouble. I would be eternally lost and perishing. This guy couldn't see that. That makes you a fool, family of God. That makes you a fool. Because if you think you're getting to heaven because of how good you are, or the laws that you keep, or the stuff that you do, or the service that you undertake, or the money you give, you're wrong. You're getting to heaven because of the grace of God, and the mercy of God, and the forgiveness of God. And it's all Him and none of you. It's a gift. Amen. And so Jesus is saying, look. Here this guy addresses the crowd. And I love how the legalism comes into view. He calls the man a hypocrite, and he calls this poor bent woman a daughter of Abraham. You ever wonder what this guy might have been thinking after Jesus left? Because I'll tell you what, if Jesus had spoken these words to me, I'm on my knees. I'm going, God, forgive me. How could I be so short-sighted? How could I look at what just happened and somehow see bad in it? That's what religious activity apart from saving grace does. How many people are religious to the nth degree and yet cannot rejoice in the grace of God? The mercy of God. The forgiveness of God. The tender care that God has for the lost and the broken and the downcast and the downtrodden. Jesus came for us that way. In this, your Bible says, is the love of God made manifest. That while we were yet sinning, not just sinners, sinning, actively engaged in disobedience directly towards God, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen? That's why Jesus is being so harsh here. That's why he's looking at this guy going, Dude, what in the world is wrong with you? Why are you acting this way? Do you think somehow that because you keep a bunch of rules and regulations, you're going to be okay with me? That's why works saves no one. It is not by any work that I have done that He has saved me. But it is by grace working through faith that I am saved. None of us gets to boast about it. And this woman expressed faith in His 
Jesus now is about six months from the cross. He's going to spend these remaining days and weeks and these few months in the region known as Perea, the Transjordan region, modern-day Jordan, the eastern side, chiefly, of the River Jordan. Jesus is going to be ministering to people who want to listen. He's in trouble. They're going to come after him. And so notice the response of the crowd. The crowd, who, hearing the two arguments, sides with Jesus, they glorified God. They thought these things were glorious. You know why? Because every one of them could see themselves in that poor woman. In one way, shape, or form. Some form of brokenness from which we need to be set free. Healed. Ministered to. And family, we need to not lose sight of that. I need to not lose sight of that. I need to remember how it is that I came to a relationship with my God. And it wasn't because I was great and figured it all out and got squared away. There's a lot of people that think that way. You know, I got it all figured out. Yeah, next week I'm going to get saved because I got it figured out. If you ever completely figure it out, come tell me because I haven't got it figured out yet. And I've been working at it for a while. It should have put the ruler of the synagogue on his knees. And when we think about our own failures in this area, it ought to put us on our knees too. The second exposure, and I want you to see the false faith that's exhibited here. And again, make sure that you take these things the way they're intended. There are some people that look especially at this first parable that Jesus will speak and go, well, you know, who wouldn't want a big old huge tree that the birds could nest in? You know why that is? Because we're all a bunch of animal freaks. Well, it's good for the birds. It's a nice tree. I mean, it provides shade. Don't forget what he's saying here. He's talking about a weed. He's not talking about a tree. He's talking about a weed. That as soon as the sun hits it, it's going to dry up, it's going to shrivel up, and it's going to die. And so he's going to expose false faith. Verse 17, And when he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame. Yep. That's exactly what happens. Because the truth truth, and it exposes lie. And the truth always wins. That's why I said, don't do battle with Jesus and his word. You will come out a loser. It's not going to go good for you. All his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. You see, the people, the common people got it. They're going, yeah, it's right, set her free, loose her from bondage. And oh, by the way, can you come to my house because i got issues too. You see, they, they had it right because they weren't religious. And again, I'm not knocking church. I'm saying there's a difference between religion and relationship. They're not the same. You can look really good on the outside and be completely lost on the inside. 
And you can look really holy on the outside and be absolutely filthy and despicable on the inside. A lot of people come to church because they think they're doing their duty to God. A lot of people come to church because they want other people to see them at church. Some people go to church because they think they're going to meet somebody that they can, you know, hook up with. Some people come to church because they find somebody that they can do business with. We come to church to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We come to bring honor and praise and glory to our Savior and our God. We come to study His Word so that He might speak to us and to pray. But we don't come to show other people, look how great I am. I go to church. And then He said, Jesus now again will speak, For what is the kingdom of God like? And you're going to see two windows, roughly the same thing, from two totally different perspectives. The mustard seed and the leaven. The abnormal growth and the adulteration of the word. You're going to see this clearly. To what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? He's been talking about the negative aspects of religion. And so he's talking about the negative aspects of how the church can be a mess. He's not saying something good. He's still on the same track. It's like, look, guys, here's what church looks like. Here's what happens when people get hung up on religious activity. It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew, and it became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. We have abnormal growth, and we have adulteration coming into view here. And so the parable of the mustard seed, you know, you see when you see this at first glance, if you're not taking it in context of what Jesus has previously said, in this exact place, you could be misled. Oh, it's a huge tree. I mean, I love huge trees. We love trees here in Rungeon. We love lots of trees. The problem is, the example he's using is an absolute abnormality. Mustard is not supposed to turn into a tree. It's not any good. It's good for nothing. And if you've ever seen a mustard plant, I grew up here in Southern California, and every field that got turned over in the spring sprung up mustard plants. And if they got really big, they'd have a taproot about that big around, went straight down and sucked all of the moisture out of the surrounding ground so that they could grow into this nice big fat weed that as soon as the sun hit it, It lived for about three months. It dropped over dead. They're useless. Absolutely useless. You can't get anything out of them. You don't make mustard out of them. They're a weed. And so Jesus said, look how gigantic this thing. It's huge. What success we have. And so he says the birds are found lodging in his branches. Gives us a key. Because eagles 
in Scripture are almost exclusively a good thing, and birds are almost exclusively a bad thing. It is the birds, the same birds of the air that are exemplified there in Ephesians chapter 2, the prince of the power of the air. In other words, this extraordinary growth is actually demonic. There are a lot of really big churches that fall in this category. The church age is filled with them. He's talking about here not the true church, but the counterfeit church. We need to see that in this church of poor theology. Massive growth. And as I speak what I believe God has put on my heart, I want to be very clear here. I want you to make no misinterpretation of what I'm about to say. I believe there are wonderful people in that are saved and going to heaven in some of these ministries that I will now share with you that I think fit this category. There are people who love Jesus in the emergent church. There are people who love Jesus that attend Joyce Meyer's seminars. There are people who love Jesus that go to Joel Osteen's church. But I will also tell you there's a whole bunch of very lost people that go there for the wrong reason because it is a large tree that makes everybody feel good. And they do not preach the full counsel of God's word. And they overemphasize health, wealth, prosperity, the word faith movement. Well, God's just a genie. You just pray and he has to give you whatever he wants. And they quote exactly one verse to back it up. Your Bible doesn't say that. Matter of fact, your Bible says the poor you will have with you always. The Bible says you better make sure that you know this, that in this world you will, as a disciple of God, have tribulation. Your Bible says they will persecute you. They may even kill you for my namesake. That does not sound like anything I ask of God, God is obligated to give me. But you know when you tell people those types of things? They go to church. You know why they're going to church? Because they think they're going to get something out of God instead of give something to God, their life. There's a lot of mustard seed plants growing in the church today. False doctrine couched in extraordinary growth. Be wary. Be careful. You know a tree by its fruit. Amen? And when you see people come for a while and fall away, and then a new group comes for a while and then falls away, and they have no victory over sin, there is no repentance, they will not do what the Word of God says. Matter of fact, they don't believe they even have to. That's going to attract a lot of people. But it's going to attract people to a church that is not teaching God's Word. It's just like this guy. Looks good on the outside. Nice, big, fat building. But the people inside are being fed a bunch of lies. It's a false mustard plant. Biblical compromise is the best way to to look at it. And I will share with you, and again, I will preface it. On Friday, this last week, one of the largest evangelical denominations in the United States... Presbyterian Church USA divested itself of all holdings in Israel. 
And you know why? Because of how they're treating the Palestinians. Do you want to know what the truth is? The truth is a quarter of the Israeli national budget goes to the Palestinians. 25%. 30% of the Knesset is held by Arabs. That's the truth. That the border crossings, that they're divesting themselves in these corporations, which, by the way, provide jobs here in America, Caterpillar, Motorola, HP. Caterpillar builds construction equipment. Gee, that's terrible. Motorola provides the scanning systems for the border, border checkpoints in Israel. It's absolutely proven that they've saved thousands and thousands of lives. HP provides all of the technology for every surveillance system the Israelis currently operate that keep the peace in the region. Have you seen a war there since 73? Not an outright one. Large mustard plant. Because your Bible says in Zechariah chapter 2, He who touches you, Israel, touches the apple of his God's eye. It's solved by knowing what God's Word says. Furthermore, the jobs that are being killed are jobs that Americans take. Because every one of those, none of those corporations have anything other than satellite offices in Israel. We need to be careful we stick to the Word. Because replacement theology has replaced Israel with the church. And it is not true. God has a plan for Israel. And in fact, the coming days that are ahead of us are because he still loves his children, Israel. You see, you can have a big church. You can have a big denomination. And you can go the wrong way. And in saying that, let me tell you that it was a very close vote. It was almost 50-50. I think it passed by a mere 14 votes. And I had a Presbyterian pastor in this parking lot speaking to me. He said, I can't believe we've done this. I can't believe that we're now promoting gay marriage. Big mustard plant, bad theology. We need to be careful. The next thing we see is the adulterated leaven. Failure that is yet to come to some degree. Verse 20, and again he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It's like leaven. And you can see again, this is another negative example. Leaven is almost exclusively used as a picture of sin. Amen? Which the woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Notice the little word, circle it, hid. You know why it's hidden? Because it's not an ingredient that's supposed to be there. Hidden. Till it was all leavened. And then he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. You can see that this is the final uh, months of his life. And then one said to him, Lord, are there so few saved? And he said to them, and he begins to pick up this thought. But notice what he's really saying here. You see, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Amen? That's what your Bible says. You put a little bit of it in there, and it leavens the whole lump. And so what Jesus is now pointing towards is a lack of biblical character. A lack of the authority of God's Word. False teaching. 
You've got false church, false teaching, phony doctrine. Phony doctrine is alive and well in our world today. The doctrine that says you can do whatever you want. You've been saved by grace. You can just live however you want. doesn't matter. You're going to heaven. Your Bible doesn't teach that. Never has. Not a verse in there. Are you saved by grace through faith? Absolutely. But if you're truly a child of God, then your life is supposed to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so if that's not happening, ask yourself the question, why? And I would purport to you that it's highly likely because you're not resisting the devil and therefore he's not fleeing. You see, there's a lot of phony doctrine out there. And we need to be careful because it's likable stuff to the human nature. Amen? Think about it for a second. Think of some of the things that you can pop into your mind or your head. It's wonderful. Let's water down God's Word. Let's just say, you know what? Everybody in the end gets saved. I will tell you something right here and right now. If I took a view that homosexuality was okay with God and that everybody gets saved in the end, the population of this church would likely double, maybe triple. You know why? Because then every person who does not want to hear that God says and God means would be perfectly comfortable. It becomes an issue of being politically correct and biblically ignorant. We can't do it because it damns men's souls. You're telling them a lie so that they can feel good. And so he says, man, a little leaven gets in there and leavens the whole lump. Can I point to the issue of homosexuality right now today? A little leaven is leavening the whole lump. Do I love every person on this planet who's trapped, who's caught up in, who struggles with same-sex homosexual attraction? Yes, I do. And I absolutely want them to be saved. But if I tell them they're okay in that sin, are they going to change? The answer is no. The same thing applies, by the way, for the drunkard. The same thing applies for the adulterer. The same thing applies for the thief and the liar. But if we just simply pick and choose a few sins that seem to be the sins of the month, you didn't know this, there's a sins of the month club, (laughs) kind of like jellies and jam, just I'm in this particular group right now. Our world is like that. It's being crammed down the church's throat, that you're intolerant, you're bigoted, that somehow you hate somebody. Family of God, the last thing you want to do with somebody who's caught in an area of sin is tell them they're okay. If you do that, you do hate them because you don't care for their eternal soul. You see, you can take God's Word and you can adulterate it. You can chop it up. You can make it say what you want it to say. And you can call the sin of homosexuality, and that's what it is. It's sin, just like being an adulterer is sin, just like being a liar is sin, a thief is sin, and you can make it into being inhospitable. And that's exactly what's going on in our world. 
the word of God is being purported to no longer be true. Well, that's real attractive to people who don't want to give up their sin. It's not what we should be doing as a true church. And so the Lord now finally answers. You you see, as you look at this, phony development marked by phony doctrine is what you see. You get the gigantic church that no longer teaches the word. That's not good. Jesus said so. Better to have a smaller church that teaches the word than a gigantic church that does not teach the word. Amen? And so he says, ending this up, wrapping it up this morning, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Why did he call it a narrow gate? Because it doesn't include all the sin stuff. Can anyone be healed of anything? Absolutely. Is His grace sufficient for all of your faults? Absolutely. But the way you obtain that grace is through repentance. And saying, look, I agree with you, God, this is wrong. Not, hey, you have to accept this sin, even though you've said that you wouldn't. You destroyed an entire city. Because of that sin, you repeated it frequently and often. We need to do what God's Word says. It's narrow. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. You notice what it says. There comes a point in time in everyone's life where you're no longer able to enter. It was true in the story of Noah. Amen? One hundred Years building that ark. And the whole time, what's Noah doing? It's going to rain. It's going to flood. I'm building this because it's going to rain. It's going to flood. And God's a little bit tweaked at us right now. It is time for us to get right. You need to get right. And if any of you want to get in the ark, come in the ark, you'll be saved. They're all like, "Uh uh-uh, not doing it. And we're not talking about the Russell Crowe version either. God wasn't playing around. The door of the ark was going to be shut. And once it was shut, you perished. It's a picture of what's to come if you don't repent. Once the master of the house is risen up, the master of the house would be gone and shut the door. And you begin to stand outside and knock on the door going like this. Hey, let us in. Why it's so wonderful to do a memorial service for somebody who knows Jesus. He who believes in me, though he shall perish, he's going to live eternally. Amen? Big difference between the person who says, well, you know, I'll just wait until I'm too old to sin very well. I'm just going to practice my sinning right to the end, and then, you know, God's got to take me in. No, he does not. And in fact, his word repeatedly says, Today is the day of salvation. Repent now while there's still a chance. People hate these verses. Because they challenge us to stand for Christ. Amen? You you don't get to pick and choose. You can't be a part-time Christian. You're the Savior, you're not. 
Now, am I saying that you're going to live perfectly? No. But you're going to care. You're going to care that you're not doing what God asked you to do. They'll stand outside saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say, I do not know where you are from. You get the picture? The word that he uses there, strive, it's actually the, the Greek word, agnizo. It means to agonize. It means to pain in your heart over something. And so he's saying, look, the time's now. People come to me all the time. Well, yeah, I believe in the, the grand poobah. I believe in the man upstairs. I pray. I talk to God. I've had people, well, you know, the good book. My grandma was an organist. That's true, by the way. My grandma was an organist. Methodist church for 25 years. That didn't save me. Me repenting of my sin and inviting Jesus Christ into my life and inviting Him to be the Lord and my Savior and believing on His name, that's what saved me. Let me be clear. And so when people say things like that, I'll ask them, well, what do you actually believe in? Well, I believe there's a God. Can I remind you, your Bible says in James that the demons believe in God? They actually believe in Jesus but not in a saving way. They just know He's real. If your belief doesn't cause you to repent, you need to think about how you believe. If your belief doesn't cause you to think differently about this world, you need to rethink how you believe. Am I wanting you to question your salvation? Absolutely not. You're saved by grace and through faith. Make no mistake about it. But it will change you if you have that kind of faith. It will cause you to see the world differently. You will accept the truth of His Word for what it says if you're one of His kids. You won't try and make this say what you want it to say. Let me be bold. I wish this did teach that in the end everybody gets saved. Jesus just said it's not so. Who are you going to believe? What I want or what Jesus said? I'll take what Jesus said. So I believe you have to actually repent. You have to actually ask and invite into your life the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. There is one way, one truth, one life, and no one gets to the Father but through Him. Amen? So why do you suppose Jesus is saying these things? He's saying don't go someplace just simply because it's big. There are lots of things that are big that are false. Don't go someplace because it's comfortable, because there are a lot of comfortable places that are false. He says make sure you're actually saved. And he says there in verse 28, Actually, pick up in 26 as we finish this. And then he will begin to say, We ate, we drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he'll say, I do not know who you are. I don't know where you're from. Depart, for I've never known you. 
And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. Ouch. So much for the sweet Jesus that says, hey, love everybody. Just love them. Truth without love is not truth. And love without truth is not truth. Jesus made the harshest statements found in your Bible. And this is one of them. They will come from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south, and sit down in the kingdom. In other words, there are going to be all kinds of people you don't think should be in there. I have all kinds of people I think, oh, there's no way that guy's getting saved. That woman's not. There's no way. I remember even limiting the grace of God in that way in my own heart and my own mind when I was a baby Christian. So ah, there's no way. They're going to hell. That's not true either. He's able to save unto the uttermost. For indeed, there are last who will be first. I love this verse. Ends on a very positive note. There are people you think won't be there. They're going to be there. And they're going to be stacking crowns. And the first who will be last, there are going to be people who are going to be there. They're going to be doing a good deed just to get there. Because of grace. You see, Jesus was saying basically, look, you're either in or out. There's a false church, there's a real church. Make sure you're in the right church. And make sure you believe in the real Jesus. Amen? You've never made that commitment? Don't pass it up. I'll be here after service. You need to pray to receive Christ. Love to pray with you. Because being religious don't get you there. The blood of Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And that's the only way to have your sins blotted out. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the attentiveness of your body. Lord, pray that you would speak to us. These are difficult verses, God. And I pray that no one would walk away and, and not understand your grace. Your grace is sufficient. And your mercies are new every morning. But Lord, in that grace and in that mercy, we ask that you'd also help us to be holy as you are holy. Lord, that we would hear your word and do what it says. God, that we wouldn't be tempted to make a, a, a huge tree. God, that we wouldn't be tempted to put leaven into the lump. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless us as your people, anoint us for the purposes that you have for us this day. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.